evening. Uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If everybody will, take your Bible and turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew, the sixth chapter in the Bible that's in the pew there in front of you. If you need to borrow and use that, it'll be 854. In a few minutes, we'll begin with that. It is uh, exciting to think of all the good that's being done and individuals that are using their life in God's service. We appreciate each one that participates in the outreach teams and the outreach reorganization was this afternoon. And when we uh, talk with visitors and those that have been in hospitals, a very, very common response is, I've received more cards from the Mount Juliet Church of Christ than even the church that I'm a part of. Uh, You really make a powerful impact of encouragement. In, in the ministry that you have there to reach out to those that are visiting, to those that are hurting, to those that are sick, to those that have lost loved ones. And we appreciate what all the ones that participate in this ministry do. And we look forward to another great term for six months through this reorganization. Also, the widows had a wonderful luncheon and how wonderful and valuable and what an encouragement they are to us. As we look forward, one week and a day, Vacation Bible School will begin a week from tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, and it will be for the three-year-old all the way up to 12th grade. Please keep in mind the yard signs. I know this may sound elementary, but that yard sign will do no good over the next eight days in the back of your car or next to your front door in your living room. I want to challenge everybody to make sure that that we use the Lord's money wisely and to make sure that we love souls. And, you know, there are a lot of us that are limited in particular abilities that we have. Nobody has every ability. But I would dare say everybody has an ability to put a yard sign in their yard today. And, and I want to encourage you, let's make sure we don't leave any yard signs in the foyer. Now, there's going to be some of you that are going to say, my street is too quiet of a street. I don't want to waste one of the yard signs. Well, several of you thought that last year and yard signs set in the foyer. And I promise you, more people are going to see them on your quiet street than they're going to see them out in the foyer. And keep in mind, if your quiet street only has five or six people an hour passing by it, In a day's time, that's close to 100 invitations that you've given. And by the time next Monday rolls around, that's 700 invitations that you've given. So please, please, let's make sure that we let the community know that we're having Vacation Bible School. There are also three forms of of invitations that are in print out in the foyer. If you want a small postcard or if you want a half a sheet flyer that tells many of the details and also the great theme of under construction, we'll be talking about building the ark, building the temple, building the wall and building the Lord's church. And then also there's the pamphlet that we have been distributing now for a few weeks that is every home, every heart. And on the back of it gives a nice description of the Vacation Bible School. So if you still need to give an invitation to someone this week, be sure and take one of these with you so that you can leave them the details so that they can make the decision with great information as to whether or not they want their children to be a part of this. For all of our youth, for all of our children, make sure you go online very quickly and register. If you do not have access to online, you can call the church office as you're inviting your friends. Let them know that all they have to do is go to mountjuliet.org mountjuliet.org and they can register there online and then so many of us and you're going to think oh he's trying to be cute and sneak this in I'm being truthful with you now so many will say I just wish so much I could do something VBS but it's always during the daytime and I work 
uh, the, the Monday through Thursday of the Vacation Bible School. And do know that on Saturday from 10 to 12 will be a work day. Saturday from 10 to 12, just two hours. And, and instead of just having 10 or 15, if we could have 75 or 80, think of the difference that could be made. And so if you're in that position that you want to do something for Vacation Bible School, but you can't come through the middle of the week, why not block out a couple of hours on Saturday, 10 to 12, and let's make that a, a great success. Be praying about Vacation Bible School. Uh, you, you know that each year there are kids that come here And this is one of the only times that they are exposed to God all year long. They drive up and down this street the rest of the year telling their parents, that's my church. Those children are going to grow old enough to make decisions on their own one of these days. And we still want them thinking, that's my church when they get their license. We want them to think, I want to go back now to my church that I've been going to every year. We're planting eternal seeds. And let's be prayerful about that. And let's do everything we can do. And also for each of our young people that will be participating, we're excited for you. Uh, This is a highlight of the year uh, for many of us to think about Vacation Bible School. It brings back a lot of warm memories and hopes and anticipation and and excitement. And we look forward to the great things that will be done through Vacation Bible School this year. As we think about our series, One Month to Live... As we close that series tonight, we close with that same reminder. We're not trying to ask a morbid question and focus only on death. We're trying to ask a question, what would you do if you had one month to live to help us focus on life? Surely we would bring things in greater perspective and a a much better perspective if we realized that we truly did have a limited amount of time. And so several weeks ago, when we looked at living passionately, we drew the conclusion from the scriptures that if we recognize our days are numbered, we would live a little more passionately. But then secondly, we looked at loving completely. And we looked at the reality that most of us would surely say, if we only had 30 days to live, that relationships are among the highest priority that we have in our life. What's your relationship with God like right now? What's your relationship with your family like right now? If you found out you only had a month to live, would you change something about any of the relationships that you share in right now? Last week, we looked at the fact of learning humbly. Would we think a little bit more about who is our creator and what does he have planned for me? What is it that he wants me to do in my life? And surely all of those would be ways not only to live the last month of our life, but it would be the way to live every month of our life. And tonight we think about that. Once we do leave this earth, how will we leave? Do you realize how many people leave this earth in only a matter of a short amount of time? Their memory and their influence is totally gone. Is it possible for you and I to live a life that matters? A life that counts. A life that truly makes a powerful impact even in the memory of others once we've passed through this earth. Friends, we've said over and over from this pulpit, let's be a part of something that's greater than ourselves. And if you want a life that will be remembered, what we need to have is a life that is in the balance in the hands of Jesus Christ and that we're part of a cause that's much, much greater than ourselves. Then we can live a regret-free life. Then we don't have to come toward the end and say, 
Now that I know the end is here, there's a lot of changes I want to make. My hope and my prayer is that every one of us would live such a life that if we found out tomorrow we only had a month to live, that we would not have to make any major changes in our life. We're already living that regret-free life. Friends, that's the life that God has to offer us. You and I can't build that life on our own. There's nobody here that has enough wisdom. There's nobody here that has enough spiritual power on your own to live a regret-free life. But it's the invitation that when the Lord said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, He is offering us to be free from that burden, to be able to live that type of life. So tonight, what is that life that is regret-free? I'd like for us to think about maybe an unusual way to say it, but just trying to get your attention. What if we said from now on, no more rusting out? Have you ever noticed how oftentimes rust tends to lower the value of things? I remember when, when I was a, a, a young boy growing up, especially out in the country, and you know, that was before the days, our young people don't know, but pickup trucks used to not be vogue at all. You were really a redneck if you drove anything other than a car. And of course, where I grew up, everybody drove a pickup truck. And, and so I remember back in, in the 70s, GM and Chevrolet had a real problem with, with their fender wells over their back. And well, both, both, all four fender wells rusting out. And wow, that's pretty tough whenever you put that much money in a vehicle. And then about 10 years too early, it starts rusting out. Well, that happened all through the 70s on farm trucks. What about your life? Is your life becoming more valuable? Or is it rusting out? Right now, if you had to cross a, a, a deep canyon and you were going to cross on a metal bridge, how comfortable would you be crossing on that metal bridge if you saw rust deteriorating it? Most of us would say, I want something that's a little more solid. I want something that I feel certain about. Friends, how do you want to die? Do you want to die not feeling so certain about eternity? Do you want to die not feeling so certain about the way you've invested the whole life that you did live? The Lord offers something beautiful. He wants us to take the very things He gives us, our life, our possessions, our abilities, and use them. That's the emphasis. Use them. Isn't that interesting? If you don't want a life that rusts out, you have to have a life that is useful. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, the Lord brought this principle down at this particular point to simply talk about possessions. But it's true about anything. But let's notice it here as it relates to possessions. Look at Matthew 6 and 19. Do not. Now think how strong that language is. You know, the Lord didn't say, I want to make a suggestion to you. You might not want to. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you just a little piece of advice to think about. Think about Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? What, what's going to happen? A lot, there's a lot of people on this earth that they give their whole life to lay up treasures on earth. Think about what Jesus is saying here is so different from our American culture. Do not live your life to see what you can rank, what you can pile up, what you can store up, what you can save up. Do not live your life that way. Why? What will happen? Where moth 
and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, now in opposition to that, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The conclusion here, for where your treasure is, that there your heart will be also. It's interesting that Jesus points out here that there's always that struggle to take the very things that He gives us to use in His service and instead we begin to use them for our personal benefit and for our personal indulgences and and then we begin to make those things that are little more than tools that have been given to us and we begin to treasure them. You would think it was strange if somebody held up a hammer or, or a saw or, or a shovel and said, oh, I just treasure this. I, I'm, I'm trying to save up and get more of these. I just want more and more tools. And hey, well, could I use it? Oh, no, you can't use this. This is my treasure. And we, we understand real quickly, tools are made to be useful to accomplish other purposes. What, why did God give you your abilities? to be used to accomplish purposes to His glory? Why did God give you energy to be used to His glory? Why did God give you possessions? Why did God give you the house you have? Why did He give you the car you have? Why did He give you the paycheck that He gave you last week? Why did God give you all of those things? If we see those only as the end, that is my treasure, that's the end, we've missed it. They're only the means. They're only the means to get to the end to say I want to use them to glorify God. And so literally, when we think about it, we think about giving is, are the two wafers of an ice cream sandwich. And the middle, the ice cream, is us providing for our family. And we say, Lord, what are the first three things you want me to do with my paycheck that I get? And he says, the very first one is, and it's in this very same chapter, the sixth chapter in verse 33, I want you to give to the kingdom. In this chapter, he's talking about finances. And a lot of time, we quote Matthew 6, and we may use it in a very proper way, but a lot of time, we don't use it in the context that it's written. You know the verse we so oftentimes talk about? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That is in the middle of an entire chapter that's talking about money. If you take your income and you seek first the kingdom of heaven, all of these necessities are going to be given to you. Is exactly what is taught there. Well, what's in the middle of this ice cream sandwich? He says, first, I want you to give to me. The Lord always wants the first fruits. We're making sure that, that this has not become treasure to us on earth. If we want to lay up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth, we give first to the Lord. But then next we learn in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter and verse eight, if someone will not take care of their own family, they're worse than an infidel. God expects us to take our income and make sure that we take care of our family. Do you realize that when a man and a woman, when they go to work, and they go to work so that they can put shelter over their, their children's head, do you realize they're doing the work of God? That's exactly what Christians are supposed to do. They are to make sure that their family is taken care of. And so work to provide for our family is spiritual it's a blessing that God has taught us to accept and to use wisely. 
But then we see this, this last wafer here. And I'm not saying these are the only three things taught in the scripture. I would suggest to you that these are probably the first, second, and third thing in order of priority that would be taught in the scripture. And that third wafer is make sure that we never use number two all up. Because according to Ephesians 4 and 28, we're not supposed to spend everything we make. And we're definitely not supposed to spend more than we make. That wouldn't be a good steward. We spend less than we make so that we have something left to give to others who are in need. Ephesians 4 and 28. So how do I lay up treasures in heaven? Friends, whenever I receive income, it doesn't matter. Isn't it amazing how God can provide income from all kinds of sources we sometimes don't even think about? Isn't it wonderful? Sometimes the stock market actually goes up. We hadn't seen it in a few years, but it does. And isn't it wonderful when it goes up unexpectedly and, and we, we have an income and we say, you know, that part, I'm going to give that very first part back to God. We have kids that have birthdays. And when I was a kid and you had a birthday, you were happy if you got $10. You know, we have kids today, they have 50 and 100. Surely their parents are teaching them that first part goes back to God. That's how we lay up treasures in heaven. Now we're thinking about a life, one month to live. What would you do if you had one month to live? Wouldn't you want to make sure that you didn't rob God? Wouldn't you want to make sure that your possessions on earth had not become your treasure? My father, <clears throat> on his uh, farm, has one particular cow that is, uh, it's, it's identified as the grandkid's cow. And every year that cow has a calf, and every year that calf is sold. And, and shortly after the sale, he gets the grandkids together. And he, he gets those six grandkids together, and, and he, he pulls out six of these right here. Now, this one just came from him just the other day. And you may be wondering, why would he place hundred $100 in ones? When I think about it, we're studying tonight, leaving boldly. How's the best way to leave this earth? You know, there's, there's a lot of people that they spend a lot of time talking about what they're going to leave their children, what they're going to leave their grandchildren. I want to make sure I work hard enough that I can give every one of my grandchildren their first car. Well, that's a nice gift. Is, is that all you're going to leave them? Well, I want to make sure that I can leave each one $100,000 when I die. Is that all you're going to leave them? Now, friends, think about it. We're, we're talking about things that the Lord says, if you think that's a treasure, now for a minute, don't think like an American. Think like a Christian. What you're leaving them is not a treasure. You know what happens to 100000 Rust and moth and thieves. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Friends, there's nothing wrong with us wanting to leave our loved one things that really are not of much value, like money and possessions and things like that. But what we're studying tonight is, do you want to leave them something of value? Do you want to leave them something that is a true treasure? Well, what would we leave them? We'd leave them the fact that while we were on this earth, we taught them how to lay up treasures in heaven. He gets those grandkids, and now with the old ones, he doesn't have to do this, but he, gets, he still gets the young ones in the floor. 
And he gives every one of them their $100. And he asks them to count all of these $100 in 10 stacks of 10. And so every grandkid has their stack of 10. And then he reads to them from the Bible about giving your first fruits back to God. And he says, now, on Sunday, you need to give that first stack back to God. And every time God ever gives you anything, you need to take the first stack and give it back to God. Now, there's been at least one of those grandkids in my family when they were only about three years old. And just the other day, one of my nieces, she did the same thing. They kind of perk up with their eyes real big. And they say, Pop, Pop, I don't want to give a stack. To God. And they point to that first stack. And Pop Pop says, that's fine. Just give the other nine to God. (laughs) Oh boy. They real quick say, Pop Pop, I'll give that first stack to God on Sunday. You know, there are at least ten people at least 10 people on this earth that I can just almost assure you they give their first fruits to God every Sunday. And it is because someone has walked before them saying, I want to teach you where the greatest treasures are. I want to give you a lesson that will help you invest in what matters the very, very most. Friends, if our idea is that one month to live, we're going to make some major changes and then we're going to call all of our kids and our grandkids in and we're going to tell them of those great changes and we think just verbally telling them of the great changes that they're going to change their life, Let's be honest. The odds of that happening is not very good. But if we live our life recognizing what is true treasures, recognizing what the Lord said are true treasures, and we take all of our ability and we take all of our energy and we take all of our possessions and we view everything under the the lens that says, here is how these treasures are to be used. Now, We're passing something back, and and we'll get to that point of passing back in just a moment. As we think about this, uh, I tell you what, let's just go to that point of passing back. If you will, drop over to Psalm 145 and verse 4. Psalm 145 and verse 4. Let's talk about for just a moment, no more holding out. No more holding out. Now, what do we mean by holding out? You know... I do not suggest to you in saying this that, hey, I've got it figured out and and I'm on to something here. Surely all of us, wherever we are in life, we could look back, especially if you're old enough to look back in 10-year increments and say, you know, I can see a real difference in the way I think now than the way I did 10 years ago. And, And in preparing for this lesson, I just thought, you know, I remember my first decade of adulthood and, and I remember 
just thinking, I, I want to figure out. I remember praying a lot and trying to, to, to figure out what is it that God wants me to do with my life? What abilities has he given me to do? What should I do with my life? And I spent a lot of that first 10 years of adulthood trying to figure that out. The second uh, 10 years in my life, I know I, I then tried to figure out a lot, well, how, how can I do it better? How is it that God would want me to grow? In what areas would he want me to grow? And you know, the last four years, I've come to an awareness that I guess will carry me through a few more decades. And that is really, what have we done if we've learned to do it better, if we're not taking it and passing it back to the next generation? Notice how simple that it is said here in in Psalm 145 and verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Isn't that beautiful? One generation lives, and I, I want you to imagine a big basket. One generation lives, you know, we talk about sometimes the Lord filling our cup. Well, think about this big basket and the Lord filling our basket. And, and we live and we study scriptures and we read scriptures like that right there where we say, Wow. That is powerful, and we put it in our basket, and we learn from it. And then we read another scripture and another truth, and that changed my life. And we put it in our basket. And then we use our abilities, and we realize, I can use my ability here, and I can do it in this way, and, and, and God can receive all the glory. And we put that in our basket of life. And then we have possessions, and we put those in our basket of life. And we have all of these things. Every bit of it's from God. And, and our basket, truly, as Christians, it's running over. Now, what good does it do if I take that basket to the grave? Really, what good does it do? We hear a lot about casual kindness and paying it forward. That's a great thought. But if you want to talk about leaving this earth boldly, we have to accept the responsibility to take that basket and say, you know what? I've learned some things in studying the Scriptures. I've learned some things in using my abilities. I've learned some things about people and about life and about the work of the church. I've learned some things about how to do mission work, how to serve others, how to do a vacation. I've learned some things. And you know what? I'm going to hand this back to you, the next generation, because it can become a stepping stone And you can do more than what we've done because we can give you a little bit of a head start. I love this quote. Let's go back a slide and read this quote as we think about no holding out on the next generation behind us. Notice as as John Erskine says, let's tell our young people that the best books are yet to be written, that the best paintings have not yet been painted, that the best governments have yet to be formed, and that the best is yet to be done by them. I want to ask you a sober question. Do you believe that? I love our eldership here. I praise them immensely. But do you believe that there's a better eldership to be grown? I believe it can be.
I believe that this church family can have a better staff of ministers. I believe this congregation can have better teachers. But I assure you, it won't be done if this generation has to start from ground zero on all of those things. But if all of us, as a church family, and as mamas and daddies, and as grandparents, and as uncles and aunts, and and just as people that love our children, our youth, if all of us recognize that God has given us a basket that overflows, and I'm a fool if I take that to the grave. I'm not thinking clearly if I take that to the grave. I need to constantly be turning around. I thought about Chisel this week. And I thought about Griff coming over early on a Friday morning and and talking to us and urging us to not be afraid and to be courageous for a stand with God. Now during Chisel... We rode a lot of miles this year. We spent a lot of hours in a van over 48 hours. Almost every time I looked in my rearview mirror, I saw Jamie Williams. I've learned a lot from Griff. Generationally, I'm in his rearview mirror. This past week, Jamie was in my rearview mirror. And there would be some five and six-year-olds that's in his rearview mirror. What are we passing back? Friends, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to sit down and to talk about important stuff with our kids. We have a responsibility to mentor our youth, and walk hand in hand with them for a long while. And won't the church be better? And won't God be glorified? And again, not to be morbid, but if you and I spend our days doing that, I want you to imagine being in a hospital bed somewhere And doctors telling you, you only had a few more days to live. Wouldn't you want to know that you gave your all throughout your life to pass back every blessing that God had given you? Job 14 and verse 5 we close with. Job was going through a lot as he said this. Since his days are determined, speaking of man, the numbers of the months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. God said, through Job, Our months are numbered. We could ask God right now, how many months does David Shannon have lived? Without hesitation, he could tell the exact number of months. One, a hundred. He could say whatever it is. Friends, we've been asking for a month now. If you had one month to live, 
and one of these months, you'll have one month to live. Let's live it regret-free. Let's live it in such a way that we want to leave boldly, knowing that we spent our life laying up treasures in heaven and that we've passed back all that we could pass back to help those behind us be spiritual. Tonight, are you ready? Are you ready for that last month? Are you ready for that last day? Are you ready for that last breath? When you can say yes to that, we're ready to live. Have you been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins? What a life that He offers us. To be able to come out of that water and to know that we've been forgiven. That we're refreshed. We get to start anew. We get to turn the page and start a new chapter. The best chapter of our life. Are you a believer that's willing to repent of sins and confess before men? Maybe you've been immersed into Christ already, but you've lost your way. Come home to Him. The Lord will rejoice more over the one that comes home than the 99 that are already at home. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.